Good morning, church. I'm just kind of taking a look at you. I'm so grateful for you. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Zach, and I have the joy of being campus pastor here at this church. And I just want to say thank you for prioritizing the presence of God this morning and uh, joining us as we get to really encounter something so real. And during, during worship, my heart was stirred, and I got this really, really strong impression in my heart that, you know, sometimes in worship we think, oh, we're, we're going to create this moment in worship. And we're going to like just, there's going to be the right crescendo and we're going to be all in agreement and there's going to, something's going to click. And yeah, that's true. But the reality of the, of the matter is that we're actually joining in with an eternal song of worship that's already taking place in the unseen realm. And so I don't know if you have a theology for that, but there is something that is even more real than what you can see right in front of you that's happening um, in the unseen realm in heaven. And I got this strong impression that God was so pleased with us this morning. And I just, I'm so grateful for my team. It's like, I'm just like watching, I'm just like, I'm so proud of these guys. Like, I'm just pleased with the way that they're leaning in. Well done, well done. And some of that was the overflow of our, our um, one, one day retreat yesterday as we pursued the face of God, as we surrendered and allowed him to sort of cleanse us. To, he's the great physician and he did surgery on us and he cut out, cancer, literally, and, and, and spiritually and emotionally. And that's kind of spilling over into today. And that's like, I'm like, no, no wonder the worship was just fire. And I just feel like this room um, was actually, is actually really full uh, right now with, with the angelic and with God's presence. And so thank you for leaning in. I'm so grateful for you. We get to delight and depend on Jesus. Um, Many of you guys have caught me talking about my son Judah uh, lately as I've been presenting the messages. He's just a big character in my, in my household. And um, a few weeks ago, I mentioned how he has been obsessed with wearing masks. Um, he will find any excuse. He literally took a, a tube sock out of my drawer, asked me to tie it around his head, and he was like running around blind, just like in character though. Like I was like trying to like fight me, and um, he. So he's he's like really obsessed with being in character. It was almost like he's a method actor, uh, like. Christian Bale has nothing on him. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis has nothing on him. He's just like so in character, doesn't break character, just like just looks at me and doesn't know what to do with his hands apparently, just like looks. And so I wanted to give you an update on that. And uh, he's still obsessed. And this is a picture that of, of him lately, seriously. This is like 24-7. So this update on Judah. Um, he's home, not feeling well. Rachel loves you. She's taking care of the kids. Uh, kids get sick sometimes. He's probably wearing the mask, though, even though he's, probably, <laughs> even though he's not feeling well. You know, there's, there is something uh, that about the human condition that loves superheroes, that loves the, this idea of superpowers taking on the, this entity. And so I want to start off with a question, kind of segueing from that, to this question here. If someone were to ask you what Jesus's superpower was, what would you say? So out of all of the superpowers that Jesus had, what do you think that he relied on the most? We'll get back to that in a minute. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine. 
your app. We also have our, our notes on the Uversion Bible app. You can get there from the, from the QR code. Um, and we'll also have it on the screen. But I want to give you a little, bit of a, a little bit of a snapshot of the context that we're jumping into here in Luke 9. So at the top of the chapter, we have Jesus who's he's sending out, he's commissioned his 12 apostles to go out together, it says, with power and authority to do what? To drive out demons, to cure diseases, to proclaim the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. Later in the same chapter, we see Jesus feed the 5,000, which is probably more than 5,000. Uh, for, for, for some reason, they only reported the, the men in the, in the family. Um, and so it was probably closer to 15 to 20 to 25,000 people. So imagine this huge crowd of people all around Jesus. And he tells the disciples, go and feed them. And they're like looking at him like he's crazy. And, he, and they're just like, all we have is, you know the story, five loaves of bread and two fish, and that's all he needed to feed the multitudes. This is a picture of what he can do spiritually and physically with us. And so in this moment, picture this like huge crowd, Jesus turns to his disciples and then he says, who do they say I am? Who do they say I am? And he, they respond, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some say the prophets who've come back to life. And then he looks at them and he says, who do you say I am? And so maybe that's a question for us today. Who do you say Jesus is? Who's your, what's your perception of Jesus? And so we see that he asks this question, then Peter responds. He says, God's Messiah. God's Messiah. And another way you can say this is the Christ of God in the Pentateuch the Christ of God. And so this word Christ or Messiah can also be translated as the anointed one or more accurately translated for our context is King. Dr. Dr. Tim Mackey from the Bible Project calls him King Jesus instead of just Jesus Christ. King Jesus, he is the King of God. He is God's King for creation. And this is where we pick things up in verse 21 and so would you stand for the reading of God's word? We're going to have just a moment of reverence for the reading of God's word. We pick things up in verse 21. It says, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, the son of man, this is him referring to himself, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet, and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we stand in reverence to you and to your word. We come under the authority of your scripture. We come under the authority of the author, the Holy Spirit. We come under the authority of Jesus. We just proclaim you, you are king in this place. Would you teach us? how to be your followers today. Let us leave change. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Today we continue in the teaching series called Surrender Solution. Surrender Solution. And as I've been talking, as we've been talking, Pastor Ross Parsley has been carrying this this design, this map, this compass, whatever you want to call it, in his heart for about 10 years and um, been working on it as a leadership team, sort of as as a compassed or as a map to navigate this Christian life. How do, what does it look like to actually be a disciple maker, to be a follower of Jesus? And so we have this thing. And so we've been kind of marching around this cycle. And today we continue in that. And we're going to talk about surrender. This idea of surrender is the cornerstone of this solution. And if Pastor Ross was here, he would probably point to the fact that it's Surrender is on the very bottom of the cycle, and it's upside down, which is representative of, of what surrender is all about. It's about going low, and it's actually, there's, there's a power locked within it, or that it actually accesses, it's a key, that turns things right side up. But it looks kind of upside down. It doesn't seem, like, it doesn't seem to make sense. This is what we're going to explore today. And so as you're probably... As you probably have guessed, this superpower that Jesus relied on was not miracles or healing or multiplying food or walking on water. He relied on surrender. He was surrendered to his mission. He was surrendered to to the love of others and to loving the hurting and the lost. He was surrendered to the leading of the Father. He was surrendered to the power of the Holy Spirit. He was surrendered to the point of death as he, as he prophesied about himself that we just read about, even death on the cross. And he surrendered that, that the Holy Spirit wouldn't leave him in the grave, that he would be raised to life, to new life, and then ascend to the right hand of the Father. And so today we're going to explore this, this thesis or this idea that this superpower that Jesus carried was surrender. We're going to walk through what surrender kind of looks like and how it unlocks the assets, the rich assets of heaven, and how it is the pathway to freedom, the freedom that you long for. It's the pathway to new life that you long for, and it's also the pathway to your truest self, Amen. your truest self. And so we're going to talk about surrender, and we're going to talk about some of the characteristics of this upside-down superpower. And we're going to get this from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. We're going to park there. That's going to be the main verse that we're going to unpack and squeeze out for everything we can. And we won't even, it won't even <laughs> tap into all of its, re- its reserves. There is so much in there. And it's this verse right here, and this is the first section of this verse that I want to kind of focus on is whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple. So this is the foundation that I want to set for us, and we're going to build upon this. And so this idea, this word, that this choice word that Luke uses is wants. I think this act is pointing to this reality of desire. Everyone say desire. desire. And I think it's really important for us to kind of traverse this a little bit to to see how desire is linked with surrender. I think it's actually really crucial and essential to understand the reality of surrender in the context of the kingdom, all right? So I, I remember when I was 19 years old, I was going to college, and I remember getting to my apartment and going shopping, 
And I went shopping and bought copious amounts of ramen noodle because it was seven cents at the time. I don't know why I wanted to do that. Do that to myself like sodium bomb every day. (laughs) But I remember um, just kind of getting acclimated to college life and going to school and living on my own and kind of getting a grip of like just life on my own and in this new college town. And I realized that I was living in an ocean of emotion. This college town had, it was saturated with college students. Like it was a ghost town until the year started. And then there was 100,000 kids that just came in and flooded in. And it was this ocean of emotion. <laughs> there was, it was this wildfire Some can say dumpster fire probably, but let's just keep it as a wildfire of desire. The atmosphere was this cocktail, this terrible, nasty, well cocktail of hormones and like wild aspirations and restless desire. And it was all around me. If you've ever been to a college town, you probably can pick up on that kind of flavor. It was all around me and it was also inside of me. It was inside of me. You know, in one part of me, I really wanted to pursue um, psychology and philosophy. I wanted to pursue education. There was another part of me that wanted to be a Christian minister. There was another part of me that wanted to be like uh, an athlete full-time somehow. <laughs> there was a, somehow. There was, there's, there's pipe dreams. And then there's another part of me that wanted to just literally just spend all my time pursuing pleasure and party all the time and live on the beach. And all of this was, was this, you know, all of this deep, restless desire was, was inside of me, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, you know, if, if I'm honest with you guys right now, some of that restless desire still bounces around inside of me. And if I think we were honest, if you were honest, some of that restless desire, whether it's those things or your own cocktail, is bouncing around inside of you. And I think that it's it's... Also, this college town picture is like maybe hyperbolic, but I think that it's pretty similar to the world we live in now. Think of your workplace, think of even Spicewood, definitely Austin. It's just this like, this ravenous, restless, like, what do I do with myself kind of world. And I think some of that is normal. It's just the way that the world is. But what we need to realize is that it's hard to surrender when we're ruled by our desire. This is what I want to kind of harp on. It's hard to be surrendered when we're ruled by our desire. And media and work and all these things want to, want to sort of like feed that desire because it just grows the economy and it helps like grow this ambition to succeed in work. And so it's like, yeah, more, 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 more. And this restlessness is something that we carry as we sleep, as we live our lives. There's this quote that I like from Ronald Rollheiser. This is rich language, lean in with me, and I'm going to read it to you. He says this, There is within us a fundamental dis-ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life of ever coming to full peace. This desire lies at the center of our lives, in the, in the marrow of our bones, in the deep recesses of our soul. At the heart of all great literature, poetry, art, philosophy, psychology, and religion lies the naming and analyzing of this desire. Spirituality is ultimately about what we do with that desire, what we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope 
that they bring us. That is our spirituality. What this is saying in rich language is what we do with our desire is what our spirituality will look like. What we do with our longings is what our spirituality will look like. So here's, here's the tip. The invitation is to channel our desire towards Jesus. It's to channel your desire towards Jesus. There's some, some um, I think even in Christianity, it just says, kill your desire. Just kill it. No, you're killing your humanity. Desire is good. We just channel it towards the giver of that desire. So we need to channel that to God because he is the one who actually has what we need. We think that we give it to, to these different things and it will satisfy. No, Jesus is the one who has it. And so we find ourselves in a world that is really restless, that is ravenous, to quench this desire, this sense of longing desire. But as we know it, if you know from your own life, the world can never really satisfy those longings. The world can never really give you true, lasting peace. We know this, right? Many of you guys can testify of this reality. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can. So the first fundamental premise here that I want to present is that this is, is an invitation to surrender and channel our desires towards God. In the language of the, of the NIV here, to want God, to want God, to want to be his disciple because he is the only one who has what we need for the life that we truly desire. So I want to give you, maybe you're like, okay, okay, like I'm, I'm tracking with you, but I don't, I don't even know if I have that much desire for God. Well, I want to give you four sort of like principles or ideas or tips to grow your desire for God and your desire to be a disciple, all right? And so I want to quickly, quickly give you these. This is going to be rapid fire. This is kind of like a charcuterie board before the meal. There's some meat in it, but it's not the whole thing, all right? And so check this out. How do we grow in our desire for God? Number one is we spend time with Jesus for who he is, not what he can give you. This one, I think we're all victim of. Like, we all want breakthrough. We all want rich, healthy relationships. We want new life. We want revival. These things are so good. But we also, but what the problem is, if those things are the things we fixate on and think about and desire, we want those things over, over God and we make God and Jesus a means to an end. That disorders our life. So we spend time with Jesus for who he is. And guess what? The byproduct are all those things that you truly long for, like breakthrough and revival. This is what he does. Number two is we remove or we put in check anything that rivals your love over him. And so maybe it's like, no, I'm good. I think we're good. Okay, well, what do you spend all your focus on? What do you spend all your time doing? Where, do you, where does all your money go, you know, besides just like survival? These things will point to what is most valuable to you and to what you love, what we give our attention to. So are those things rivaling our love for God? Because if they do, of course, your desire for him is going to be de decrepit. <laughs> and so we, we remove those things. We put them in check. Third is we get around other people that have a deep sense of desire, a deep sense of hunger. We spend time with them, whether it's for the good or for the bad. 
We will become who we hang out with. It is a contagious nature about that. So if you want to grow in your desire, if you want to experience the life of power and love that your soul truly longs for, get around those people who are hungry for God. And number four, this is a cheat code right here. It's super simple. Just pray for it. (laughs) Pray for it. All good things come from above. If you need desire, if you need faith, whatever you need, Lord, I need this. There's a lack in this. Would you come and pour that out in my life? We pray for it. Amen? Amen. It's helpful. And so this, this is the fundamentals of spiritual journey with Jesus. This is, like, maybe not, this is fundamental in terms of it's like just the baseline. And, and so channeling our surrender and, our, and, our des, and, surrendering, and channeling, surrendering and channeling our desire towards him and his ways. That's the first layer. And so building on that, I want to place on three other characteristics of being a disciple maker, okay? And this is all found from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. So let's go through these. You guys with me? Is this helpful? Good. First one is deny yourself. This is from the words of King Jesus. If you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself. So in many ways, what does this mean? This means a letting go of control, (laughs) This is a death to our false self. And we've been talking about this a lot. We've been talking about surrendering control a lot. Jesus, take the wheel. Thank you, Carrie Underwood. I almost flew her in just to sing that song to us. Um, I love love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases uh, this passage in the Message Bible. He takes this idea and he's translating it idea for idea, not word for word, but idea for idea. And I like how he places this and couches this in verse 23 here in in chapter nine. Then he told them what they could expect for themselves. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way my way to finding yourself, your true self. Everyone say your true self. I think so many of us, we live with control as our driving operating system in life, whether we know it or not, there is these, these mechanisms of Control, And I just have to say, if you can relate to that, I think everyone probably can relate to that to some degree. You don't have to be like the controlling type to just relate to like, I want to have some kind of management over my life. I want to be in control a little bit. I don't want to just like wing it or something like that. And I, so I just get that. If you can relate to this idea of control, especially if you've been alive in the last two years. It's like when everything seems to be out of control, <laughs> This pandemic and politics and social unrest and just just all of the wild, terrible, crazy things that have happened seems out of control. So what do we do? We take control. And also what happens is we when we don't, when when things seem like they that they're untrustworthy, when things seem untrustworthy, we want to control them too. And so maybe it's like, man, I can't all, all the media says are just a bunch of lies. And so I'm not gonna trust them. Politics, they're just vying for power. I don't trust politics. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. Maybe this is separate than just like our culture, but someone has done something to you. Maybe you've done something to yourself. I don't have trust anymore. And so when there is a corrosion of trust, fear 
can then have room to invade. Where there's a lack of trust, there has, there's room for fear to invade. And so as a result of this fear, we compensate with control. This is this the human nature, and I do it too. And so the problem, one of the many problems with this, the way that conducting ourselves in this way, whether it's like overtly or subtly, right? One of the main problems is that it actually disconnects us with the person who's ultimately in control. When we're control, I'm God. I don't need a God because I'm God. I'm going to control it. And so it then disconnects us with God. It connects, disconnects us with his love, with his energy, with his mercy, with his goodness, with his perspective, with his wisdom. And so if we're disconnected from God, we're then disconnected from love. All love is God. All true love is actually an expansion of who God is. David Brenner says this, people who live in fear feel, feel compelled to remain in control. They attempt to control themselves and they attempt to control their world. Often despite their best intentions, this spills over into, into efforts to control others. Life beyond control is unimaginable even though their efforts at control have only very limited success. Fear also blocks responsiveness to others. The fearful person may appear deeply loving, but fear always interferes with the impulse towards love. Energy invested in maintaining safety and, and comfort always depletes energy available for love of others. So control and love, if we stay in a world of control, it actually becomes incompatible with love and love just gets like dried up inside of us. And so when we operate from this place, it becomes harder and harder to become who, to not only become, but to find, even in the first place, to find and become who we really are in Jesus. It is necessary, like love is, is the everything of becoming, finding and becoming who we are in Jesus. And, and, it's, and it's impossible if we continue in this, this mentality, that which is antithetical to surrender, this mentality of control, we will also, in the language of Eugene Peterson, not find our true self. We will not find our true self. If you ever look around, you look on social media, people are confused. What is truth? What is my identity? It's because we're taking control of our own world. No wonder we're, we're, we're in a society that is so lost. Um, as you probably have picked up, I can be kind of nerdy. And so I made a graph to make this visual for us. So check out this graph. And so to help maybe just kind of figure this stuff out. So we have this false self. This is the confused, I feel lost. I don't know who I am. I'm riddled with, with confusion and, and fear. This is the false self. And so this correlates with, with fear and control. When we operate from control and fear, we will lose ourselves. And unfortunately, that is the state of the world right now. We as a church, by the way, need to be ready for the refugees of this problem. There is a whole, there is a whole generation who have lost their sense of identity and who their, their true self. We need to be ready for, for them to come home. And this is a good thing. Let's be ready for this. But it's because of control. It's because I've been hurt and I'm fearful. So I want to compensate. I want to be in control. This drives us away from love and away from God and away from our true self found in Jesus. The opposite, though, is we surrender. And it correlates with love. And so surrender and love 
Don't make me dance on that. <laughs> Just kidding. So surrender correlating with love builds our identity. This is where we find our true self. Does that make sense? And so this is an upside-down kingdom. It's paradoxical. And to find our, our truest self, we must what? Surrender. Surrender, yes. We need to deny ourselves in the language of Jesus. We must deny ourselves. We must surrender, control, and trust Jesus. It's not just surrender, but we get to trust and abiding, lock and union with Jesus. Amen? The second one is... Second characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus found in this, in this verse is take up your cross daily. Take up your cross daily. So what does this mean? Take up your cross daily. Well, like any good biblical interpretation, we need, we need to consider the author's intent. We need to, uh, Vanessa would know, she's a seminarian. Um, we need to figure out the author's intent. We need to figure out the historical context. And we also need to know who the original reader was. So Luke's writing to a people. How many of you guys know that the Bible wasn't actually written to us, but it is for us. And maybe sometimes we need to figure that out. It's not written to us, but it is for us. It's eternal. But it was written to a certain context in, in, in uh, the ancient Near East. And so who are the original readers? Let's consider that. And then let's also consider who are the original hearers of, of the story. And so the original hearers of the story are the disciples and the crowd. And so the crowd, what were they thinking when Jesus said this? What, what were the disciples thinking when, they said, when, when he said this? Well, they were most likely thinking about what it historically meant for a person to, to, to deny themselves like this or to pick up their cross. And it's to be so completely conquered and so totally surrendered that they were literally carrying the very instrument of their death. And so Jesus did this as well. He carried the cross to Golgotha. And so the readers were not seeing Jesus, and then they were seeing beyond that telescopically, like through Jesus, also just the context of this horrific thing. Jesus's language is, is like violent sometimes. I think he's trying to penetrate through. It's like, wait, just like a little bit, right, Jesus? Like I just need to like devote a little bit. No, no, no. Look at how severe, look how, look what I'm going to do. This is the invitation. And so this is, yes, this is metaphorical for us. Praise God. He's not asking us to go down to McCoy's and pick up a bunch of wood or something and carry that around town. Although that'd probably be a little bit inspiring. I don't know. But Jesus is saying, be, so be so completely conquered by the love of God. Be so utterly surrendered to the point of death because it's actually on the other side of this that true life is found. This is the paradox. This is the secrets of heaven right here. How we find our true self, resurrection life, is through the doorway of this kind of surrender. And so Jesus doesn't just say that this happens once. How often, does Jesus, how often is Jesus telling us that we need to do this? What, is it, what does it say? Daily. Daily. So what, is the, what, is this, what does this point to? Daily. It's, it's a consistent rhythm. It's cyclical. It's, we're going to have to grow in it like any other habit. We grow in this. It's a process. Surrender is a process. And so surrender is, is, a pri, is primarily about yielding to God's purpose and process over time. So we tend to embrace God's purposes. Like, yeah, okay, God's purposes. Yeah, I'm with that. But we don't really like, maybe I'll just speak for myself. I don't always like his process. 
You know, we're cool with like, I'm cool with being like you, Jesus, but I'm not so cool about how I'm supposed to do that. You're asking, you're asking me to do what? Like we'd prefer, I don't know, I'd, I think we'd just prefer an easier process <laughs> and not, so many, not marked by so many hardships and disappointments, deep disappointments and disruptions. It's like, why do I have to go through these things to become sanctified and become who I really am? Maybe a little less surrender and a little bit less denial. That'd be my, can you put that on the menu, Jesus, right? But the fundamental characteristic of a disciple is, is surrender to God's will and to his way. It's to be so captured by his love, to be so raptured and captured by his love, but also be to surrendered to his will and to his way. So it's dying to our, the false God of our false self. There is this autonomy. Well, this is on me. This is my thing to do. And God's like, wait a second, let me help you. I'm actually the one who's managing all this stuff. And when we do, when we surrender, we get to cleanse ourselves from our false self that's riddled by fear and control. The, the last characteristic mentioned in this verse is follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. And so if you think about this in context, where was Jesus going? If you see the, the, the grand scope of the gospel, the gospels, Jesus was moving somewhere. Where, where was he going? Well, he was going to his death. He was going to his death. Yeah. <laughs> Even now I'm moved. You know, but as a pastor um, and as a teacher, like I struggle with this. I struggle teaching about this one. Even though it moves my heart, I just struggle teaching about this one. <laughs> like I like talking about, I like talking about grace. <laughs> like God's grace is limitless. You can't out sin his grace. It's an ocean. You can't swim to the bottom of it. I love preaching about that. You guys like hearing about it. I love teaching about rest. Like we live in a really hurried and exhausted world and God is inviting you and I to himself. Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I'll give you rest for your soul. I will, I, that is one of the messages of my life. And I will, I'm fine with sharing that one. You guys like hearing that one. But what about this one? Jesus is inviting us to follow him to our death. It doesn't really have the same like ring to it. It's not as inspiring. Or maybe it is. Maybe it's even more inspiring. This is the invitation. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, a theologian who did just this and lost his life for his convictions, said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And again, this is a picture of total surrender. This, in, this one's heavy, but it unlocks every other component in the surrender solution. This is crucial. If we don't get this, we don't get the benefits of the other ones. It takes surrender. And so why is God calling us to surrender? So yes, it unlocks those other things. Why is he calling us to die? Well, it's because it's only on the other side of this kind of surrender and death where true freedom and resurrection life is found, your true eternal self your true and eternal self. I'm going to call Gabrielle if we're going to move to a close here. You guys doing okay? I've been writing this this week and I've just been struck by Jesus. You know, I think it's so easy for, for the Christian church and for myself to sort of like talk about all the blessings. God wants to bless you. <laughs> he wants you to prosper and thrive. Yes, he does. But 
And a lot of times Jesus wasn't like always talking about that stuff. He was talking about what I'm gonna actually provide you in eternity is gonna take this. Will you be able to see it? Can you come and see it? And so I do think that Jesus is inviting us to come and be literally willing to lay our life down. Maybe like we need to scale it a little bit, just to be willing to give up all of our money, <laughs> to give up our job, to, to give up our house, to give up our family. Jesus said that. If you come and follow me, you must hate your mother and father. And he's not literally saying, I want you to hate them. He's drawing a comparison. Compared to A, this is B. Or compared to B, this is A. This is the severity of what God's calling us into because the joy is that, is that great. Eternity is that worth it. So yes, it is a literal call. Come and die. All you have to do is follow in my footsteps. I promise you, I'll give you power to suffer well by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I also think, practically speaking, just as we come and die, there is a flourishing that is birthed. I promise you. There is a type of confidence and a buoyancy and an energy and a peace and a light that you carry that is so contagious to the world. And so what this is doing is dying to our false self. The parts of us that are like insecure. The parts of us that doesn't speak up when we should. <laughs> the parts of us that care about what other people think, like these practical things. Parts of us that are, are anxious about tomorrow. The dying of the false self. And it's also about the dying to the parts of us that want to be God of our own life. The parts of us that want to be ruled by fear and the parts of us that want to be ruled by control. And so when we, when we do these things, we come alive. I've seen it in my own life. I used to be walking dead. And I'm not saying I've, I've arrived by any means, but I've laid myself down. I try to do it. And I need to do it all often. I'm, I'm a sinner. But when I do, I start to experience something so real. We start to experience something so real and undeniable, undeniable. And it's not only for our true self, not only to try to find our true self, but it's for the sake of others. Oh man, it's about the sake of others. In 1 John 3.16, in the first John, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This, my friends, is how we join Jesus to redeem and heal Spicewood and Marble Falls and Lakeway and Bee Cave and Austin. This is how we join Jesus to bring redemption to this broken and chaotic world riddled by fear and control. And it starts with us. It starts with us. It is an open invitation. And the good thing is it's not a grinding and it's not on us. We just surrender. The idea, sometimes like we get confused. It's like, oh, I got to surrender. I got to work myself up. To, no, we just collapse. <laughs> oh, I got to climb, climb. No, you collapse. <laughs> we don't climb up to God. We collapse into his lap. <laughs> this is the difference. And when we do, oh my gosh, energy starts to just pump in. Grace pumps in. Love pumps in. So there's this, this research that has been done on people who had near-death near experiences who have actually lost limbs. 
And they interviewed these people who were, just picture that, like just being, like losing a limb, going through something like that. And so they were interviewing, doing research on these people. And they asked them like, what was the hardest thing that you've ever been through? Surprise, surprise, it was losing my limbs. And then they asked them, what was the greatest thing that ever happened to you? Losing my limbs. Something happens when you go through something like that. When you're, you have a rebirth, you have a renewal of life. You have a new sense of meaning and purpose. Oh my God, I just went through. And now you have a whole new way of dependence and humility. And you have this massive cosmic injection of meaning in your life. And people see that and you start to inspire everyone around you. How are you doing that? How are you carrying that peace and that joy and that vitality when you, when you went through that? Well, have a new appreciation for life. Be grateful for what you have. This, look, what's, look at the potential. I feel like that is a little microcosm of what God is inviting us into spiritually. We have the power to inspire people. We first must die and then be reborn. And so I wanna close with just a few questions for us. We're gonna take communion in a moment so we can just process with the Lord and experience his love, his comfort, the hug of the Father, but also the gentle correction of the Holy Spirit, which I know I need. And so I want us to ask, this question, these, ask ourselves these questions. Where do I need to surrender my desire to Jesus? Where in my life do I need to deny myself more? Where do, I need, where, where do I need to pick up my cross? Where do I need to follow Jesus more? And so let's just reflect on these and let me pray for us. And so Heavenly Father, we come as your children. And we thank you for your love. We thank you for your perspective. We thank you, Jesus, for your example, being willing to deny yourself, to channel all your desires. You even wrestled in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but your will, God. And even Jesus shows us that there, this is a real thing. <laughs> and you give us permission to, to wrestle with you. I thank you for that freedom of, of children with, with a parent to wrestle. Is this really what you want? But ultimately, we know that you have a way that is better than our way, a higher way, a truthful way, a, a way marked by love. I don't fully understand it. I intellectually reject it sometimes. My emotions deny it. But you are trustworthy. And so we, we give you and channel our desires. Teach us how. Let us start the process. Teach us where we're denying you, where, we're, where we have our blinders on, not seeing how we're fully surrendered. And I just thank you in this place that when we surrender, it actually opens up this opportunity to receive all of your energy because we're not in control because control takes self-will and self-will is weak and it runs out quick. But when we surrender, we tap into your eternal limitless will. Oh my gosh. And we're full of vitality, the very Ruach of God in our, in our lungs, Holy Spirit. And so would you have this time? Would you lead our thoughts? Would you help us simplify this for our own context? Have your way. Have your way.